to Promo Insiders, the counselor podcast that tackles the issues that matter most to the promotional products industry, from hard-hitting news to fun trends. I'm Teresa Hegel, Executive Editor of Digital Content at ASI, and today I'm speaking with Katherine Monson, CEO of Fast Signs International. There are currently over 700 Fast Sign centers providing custom signs and graphics products worldwide, and Catherine has been recognized as a champion of the franchising model. In fact, this year she was named the chairwoman of the International Franchise Association. In this wide-ranging discussion, we talk about how Catherine's difficult childhood shaped her leadership skills, how appearing on an episode of Undercover Boss helped her advance the Fast Signs brand, and why signage has been so essential during the coronavirus pandemic. Well, hi, Catherine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, Teresa, thank you for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. So I kind of wanted to start like, you know, way back in the past. Um, you know, you've spoken very candidly, you know, in other uh, articles and, and various places about growing up in an abusive household. Um, so I guess I'm just wondering, like, can you tell us a little bit more about how that shaped who you are today? Like how that kind of brought you to to where you are well certainly and and and, you know i you know not everybody had a perfect childhood right and i'm going to guess that you know there are a lot of your listeners today that did not have a perfect childhood my mother was an abusive alcoholic she was uh she could just be nasty and you know very often as the oldest she said to me you know, if you weren't such a bad child, I wouldn't have to drink. And if you weren't such a bad child, your dad and I would get along and you're the whole reason I drink. And, you know, there was some physical stuff too, right? So um, early on in my adulthood, I realized that I had a choice. And that choice was I could be a victim or I could be a victor, right? And so you know, it wasn't that it wasn't that that was an easy realization to come to. I had suffered from from fa- some fairly serious depression uh, in my twenties, uh, and sought professional help. And you know, went through a couple different therapists. And when I say went through, you got to find the right one for you, or you graduate from one and get to another, right? And so. Yeah. Finally, my third or fourth therapist specialized in adult children of alcoholics, and that really allowed me to understand and tap into my issues, having grown up in that kind of an environment. And then through that understanding, I realized that I could be a victim. I could say, woe is me. I had a bad childhood. I could become an alcoholic, too. I could take what I see as the easy way out, or I could decide that I was in charge of my happiness, that I was in of my future and that I could create the life I wanted. And I think that that is a decision everybody can make, no matter what their origin. Mm-hmm. I truly, truly believe that. And so, you know, I've had some friends say, particularly after they read the Forbes article that you're referring to, why would you share that? Why would you be so public? Why would you bear your soul? Why would you be so vulnerable? And that is a choice because if I can inspire others, if someone else, and you'd be amazed, I got hundreds of emails and letters after that Forbes article about, wow, I had a similar childhood. Wow, I'm I'm motivated to to try to step out and create a great life to gener- you know, to develop a positive mental attitude, to, to develop a positive outlook on life. So that's the reason I did it, even though other people, friends of mine, thought I was crazy <laughs> for opening up like that. But you know, it, it's very easy to look at someone like me who is 
CEO of a multinational company, uh, is the chairperson of the International Franchise Association, and make an incorrect assessment, but boy, she's had an easy life. Look at how easy success has come to her. And so the purpose of that vulnerability and the purpose of sharing that, heck, I had to figure it out myself. I had to learn how to control my mind. And so I'm, I'm going to take a little side path for a moment. Um, I have come to believe uh, that there are five common characteristics to all highly successful people. Uh, and those are positive mental attitude, goal-directed behavior, self-motivation, a sense of urgency, and never stopping learning. And I believe the positive mental attitude is foundational, that no one wants to follow a negative person. Uh, no one is going to vote for a negative person. No matter what it is you want to do, you can improve in all five of those areas, that they're absolutely all learned skills. Yeah. I can learn. So here's what I used to do in my 20s. And 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 sometimes I fall prey to it now, but I I can I can identify it now and I can stop it. So I would think like, "Oh god, you know, money's tight and I'm not dating anybody and god, I just can't lose that 15 pounds I want to lose and you know, then I would spiral down. I I I learned to identify that as piling on. And I literally would pile on and get myself really depressed. So I learned through therapy when I start doing that to tell myself, stop. Literally, sometimes I even shout at myself out loud like that, which is really interesting. If you're in a store or someplace, it scares the bejesus out of people. I kept it clean for your podcast. I didn't say a bad word. I said bejesus. Um, but that's what I had to learn to do. And, and part of this positive mental attitude truly is controlling the mind. It is the easiest thing in human nature to think negatively, to just, I mean, it's so easy. Oh my God, there's a pandemic. Oh my God, you know, the economy's bad. And I understand those are stresses. Oh my God, I, you know, somebody I, I love is estranged from me. I, I can't have Thanksgiving dinner. We can pile on all those negative things, but the reality is that only hurts us. Yeah. If we can find a way to determine all the good things in our life whether it's we live in a great country that has a lot of great opportunity, it's a beautiful day, I get to see fall colors today, right? And so as I, whenever I can speak to young people, I like to teach them about these five common characteristics and how they develop them. And the most important is that positive mental attitude and the ability to control the mind, right? And if you read the greats, if you go back and read Greek and Roman philosophers, if you read the writings of Thomas Jefferson, right? I mean, just think about who, where this, these truths about positive attitude, positive outlook, they're throughout the ages. Um, but it's the hardest thing to develop, but it's all about mental discipline. Yeah. Well, I imagine, um, I think like you said, you got to look for those things that are, are positive. Even something very small, like the leaves look great today. Like if you can take that time to step back and just, recognize even the smallest thing I imagine like making like practice it's like a muscle right like you have that's to exactly right it's like a muscle and I think one of the greatest tools one can implement is to keep a gratitude journal yeah um Tim Ferriss has a great one called the five minute journal and it takes five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night but I also sometimes just write lengthy stuff and you know I'll, I'll keep a list of my blessed life 
Now, I can tell you that my brother broke his neck when he was 16 and he's been a quadriplegic since then. And I can tell you all that bad stuff. And I can tell you I got two two sisters battling cancer. But the gratitude journal doesn't focus on the negative. It would focus on something like Natalie's still alive and I get to enjoy her. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that I think is really key, whether you use the five minute journal by Tim Ferriss or whether you use um, right. whether you, you just use lined paper. But I think that that gratitude journal is a really great way to get yourself in the right place. And so then let's think about how we carry that into the workplace. One of the best things a, a leader can do in their daily or weekly team meetings is start out with gratitude. And and when you start expressing gratitude, I was so impressed the way Mary handled that situation where the product was broken in shipment when it got to the customer and the way she diffused the situation and quickly got a replacement FedExed out. Right. And then if you start doing that kind of praise, which is gratitude, uh, then you can start seeing your people develop the same thing. And then your team members might say, and I'm so appreciative of Fred, who yesterday taught me how to use the whatever it is to make the spreadsheet or the pivot table better. Right. And then you start getting people in that gratitude headset mindset going, thinking that way before you start talking about the day. Uh, and so I think that, you know, we can use these same skills and same lessons in the workplace as we can personally for ourselves. Okay. So I know you've said that you've, you wanted to become a CEO like since you were a child, which, you know, like lots of kids have things like, oh, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be, you know, a supermodel or whatever silly things, you know, kids have these, you know, dreams, but I don't know how many people say CEO, but like, why, <laughs> why was that your, was your goal all along? And kind of, can you t like walk us through? How you got where you are. Yeah, sure. But I mean, I, I will start with, you know, in the beginning, it was a veterinarian, right? Okay. I've always loved right. animals, right? And, you know, supermodel was never really one of mine, but uh, probably physically, I didn't have what I needed to be a supermodel. But <laughs> I grew up in a family business. And from a very young age, on the weekends, eight, nine, 10 years old, dad and I would go to the preschool, it started with one preschool, it grew to five, and then they added, you know, some pre-kindergarten and elementary. But we would on the weekends go to the preschool or preschools, plural, as we added more and mow the lawn and clean the kitchen. And then we <laughs> we would cook organ meats for dinner because, you know, nobody in the house liked liver or kidneys or gizzards or any of those things. So that was part of what my dad and I did on Saturday or Sunday night. We would, you know, at the kitchen at the school, we'd cook organ meats. We would talk business. So even at eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, dad and I would talk business. So I fell in love with the business of business. And uh, then as I got older, I also did um, office work and, and uh, did some stuff. And there was a time in high school in my senior year where unrelated mom and dad were both in the hospital at the same time. And instead of going to to high school, I drove and opened the Anaheim school at seven in the morning. And then when the first teacher showed up, I went over to the Fullerton school and, you know, I was greeting parents and I was paying the bills and take them to the hospital at night, all the checks made out and everything with the invoices and dad would sign them. I mean, it just, there was this thing that I understood how the business ran. Um, and so from that time in high school, I always wanted to run a company. Now that the term CEO, I didn't understand. I understood president. So I wanted to be president of a big company. And in fact, the biggest company I could think of in high school was Exxon. Okay. It wasn't Exxon Mobil at the time. It was just Exxon. And so my goal was to become the president of Exxon. Then there was this little accident in Valdez, Alaska, that I lost interest in that particular 
uh, company, but I just loved business. And then I just loved leadership. And even in high school and projects and college and projects, when you're doing group projects, whenever there was a vacuum of leadership, I just stepped up. It's like, oh, nobody's going to organize this thing. I'm going to organize this thing. So I think part of that might be being firstborn. There's some characteristics about taking charge when you're the firstborn. I'm the oldest of four. Um, but it just, that's always what I wanted. And so then uh, in my career, I would say, okay, how do you get to the top position, right? And yeah. my second job out of college, I was a buyer at Beckman Instruments and I loved it. And I got to meet some fascinating people. I got to meet Andy Grove, the founder of Advanced Micro Devices. I mean, just really cool stuff. This young 20 something uh, female got to really have some great experiences, but I woke up three years into it and said, well, if my goal is to become a president slash CEO, pur purchasing managers never become that. Mm -hmm. They become purchasing managers and die. You've never heard of a purchasing manager becoming a CEO. So I better get out of purchasing. It was just a job I fell into. And then I found a, a sales job and say that led to my first management position and then got to grow up in one organization. And then we acquired other companies and um, the rest is history. Okay. So, you know, obviously Fast Signs is a big franchise and, and you're a very active advocate for the franchise industry. So why why does that appeal to you so much? Like, what do you like about leading a team of franchises? Well, I got involved in franchising accidentally in 1980. I, I took a job as a sales coordinator for a small uh, growing franchise brand called Sir Speedy Printing Centers. I joined it in 1980 before when there were less than 200 and was part of the group that grew it to over 850 locations. So here's how I fell in love with franchising. I get to make a, a difference in people's lives. I get to put them in business for themselves, but not by themselves. They get to create this entity that will create jobs, create economic output. So that's good for the local community, create wealth for their families, put their kids through college, buy uh, retirement homes, go on vacations, right? So what I love about franchising is I help people achieve that dream of business ownership leading to real control over their lives. When you work for a corporate entity, things can happen. There could be a pandemic and leadership could decide we're going to downsize by 15%. You could be one of those 15%, but when you run your own business, when you own your own business, you're in control. And so that's what I just fell in love with franchising. I love franchising because I get, get to make a positive difference in people's lives. I get to help people fulfill that dream and create, create jobs and economic output and build wealth for their families. It is so much fun. So that is what I'm passionate about. So then about 20 years ago, I got very active in the International Franchise Association, which is the world's largest association for the franchise business model and worked on lots of committees and got to write lots of articles for Franchising World magazine, got to testify before Congress twice uh, on behalf of franchising. Uh, and then was nominated to join the board of directors and then was nominated to be in the chairs and uh, this year become a chairwoman of the International Franchise Association. And I do it because I'm passionate about the model. I think it is the best model. So here's what I love about franchising. It is the most democratic wealth building model there is. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, brown, or purple. With a franchise, you can have a brand name and proven systems and great training and great marketing. And if you follow the system, you can grow a very successful business. 
Um, what's really exciting is 31% of all franchisees in the United States are minorities. Uh, and, and it's only about 12% of independent businesses that are minority owned. So what I love about franchising is we have found a way to help minorities have the same opportunities as non-minorities. And, and that's fulfilling and that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. That's awesome. And congratulations on, on being the chairwoman. Also. Thank you. Uh, so now a few years ago, you were on that show, Undercover Boss. Yes, um, I was. Did you? seen the whole episode but i did look up the uh, little disguise that you wore which was pretty hilarious I so do you that. how do you think i do as a goth rocker chick i think you pulled it off bring it back what was fascinating um, is once you once i got in that deal black nail polish and the black wig and the heroin sheet pale pale makeup with the heavy heavy eyeliner wearing all black literally i acted differently it wasn't like i was acting it just happened i slouched and i cut i mean it was it was fabulous it was a great experience and so it's funny because it kind of proves that whole like you know dress for the job you want so i guess you know how, how you present yourself is a lot about like the the dress and 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 you know um how but you Lisa, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. I find that when I'm in business dress like I am today, I'm a little bit more buttoned up yeah. than if I'm in my Lululemon yoga pants, right? <laughs> I mean, it just it just is what it is. So for me, that's totally the case. But yeah. you know, the undercover boss, it was a it was a surprise. They sought me out okay. uh, in that they really struggle to have to find female CEOs of companies of over, you know, $500 million a year in revenue, right? So that that was a benefit because I was female. They looked at me, they might not have if I was male. Um, and then, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful journey and experience. They picked the employees I worked with, I didn't. I only knew a week before what cities I was going to. I had no idea which location in all of the cities that they selected, we had multiple, five, 10, 15, 20 locations. There'd be no way for me to figure out ahead of time. And then yeah. one time we we flew into San Francisco, so I'm studying all the San Francisco locations. Well, we filmed in Oakland. I hadn't even thought about Oakland. It's just a little, you know, 40 minute drive. Um, and then that morning they would say, well, my makeup is being put on. Today you're gonna work with uh, Justin and he's gonna teach you production or today you're going to work with Jennifer and she's going to teach you outside sales. That's all I knew. And the rest absolutely happens naturally. Now they, the producers may have had a plan in mind. Right. I was unaware of the plan and the, the experience just unfolded for me. It was absolutely real. Um, and it was a great experience. I think it's a beautiful episode. And, you know, I visit lots of my franchisees, tons of them. Um, I've been in over 450 of our 740 locations. I was just in two last week. Uh, COVID has, has slowed down the visits to franchisees, but I was in two last week. Um, and they know when I'm coming. So yeah. those two franchisees I saw knew that I'd be there at that time. So the place is perfect, right? Well, these people had no idea it was me. They thought it was this TV show, right. this pilot for a new TV show called Second Chances, right? They had a great cover store. It wasn't Undercover Boss. It was Second Chances. And so because of that, I got to learn some things. Like I 
I had no, we had always communicated directly just with franchisees about training and marketing. And what we learned is not every franchisee communicated about training programs and marketing programs to their employees. And so we started also sending training information. These are classes you can go to. Here's the new marketing materials to the employee email addresses as well. And then the other big eye opener for me was um, while a lot of our franchisees did outdoor signage, big electrical or big exterior signage applications, installations, we hadn't taught them. So I, I, that's the two things I took back and we very quickly changed how we communicate to communicate to franchisees and their employees on training and marketing. But then we built, we hired someone who'd been in the uh, outdoor sign industry and built an entire curriculum. And so those were two takeaways that even though I had visited hundreds of fast signs before Undercover Boss, they had never come to me. Right. So it, it was a great it was a great business experience as well as a, just a, a beautiful, emotional human experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so let's like kind of you know, we've done talked a lot about things in the past, but I want to kind of get to this year. This year has been kind of a crazy year. Um, this is a pandemic, I, you know, I know we've talked a little bit about gratitude and how, you know, you can still lead during difficult times, but like, what are some things you guys, you have done, um, to get the company through the pandemic? You know, what are some of the challenges and, and, and how did you kind of overcome them? Uh, that is the million dollar question, isn't it? So middle of March, I think it was Monday, March 16th, but I'm not looking at a calendar. I walked into the office and that weekend is when the big shutdowns happened. And I walked in the office and I could feel the, the tension in the air. I could feel the negative energy. So I quickly said at nine o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, we get the whole team together. I'm saying, guys, we got to kind of spread out, but let's, let's talk about what's going on. And, and I talked about how, you know, this is where we're going to, create huge value for our franchisees is we're going to lead through this difficult time. Step one is you're all going to start working remotely. Uh, the IT team had started a few weeks prior because there was a certainly an indication that this was going to happen. The IT team had started a few weeks uh, prior buying extra cameras and microphones and monitors and all kinds of stuff. And so when they when the team showed up for that huddle that morning, the room was filled with monitors, laptops, because a lot of people who come to the office every day are on a desktop, monitors, laptops, and cameras. And we had already started teaching our franchisees how to have their employees that can work remote, think graphic designers, inside sales, outside sales. We provide G Suite, mm -hmm. uh, which includes video conferencing and chat, right? In, in addition to mail and drive and, ca and calendar. So we'd already started teaching our franchisees how to work remote. We immediately gave everybody the stuff. And by Wednesday, we only had eight people rather than 100 in this office building every single day. We, we very quickly got up to being very effective remotely. We started also, I started doing that Monday the 16th, a motivational video for our franchisees. I have now done a weekly motivational video for nine months, almost 10 months. Um, and I do that because I know it's easy to get down and it's important for us to, whether we're talking about uh, flexing our gratitude muscle or flexing our perseverance muscle or a positive mental attitude muscle, it's good to get reminders about that. I mean, throughout my life, I've, I've collected positive quotes. If you walk down our 
office hall here, the longest one called Inspiration Hall. We have over 180 quotes on positive mental attitude, goal-directed behavior, self-motivation, right, perseverance. Um, and so by creating those videos and doing them every week, I'm just keeping franchisees motivated. The other thing we started that same week is a weekly video conference call with the network. We call it Connect with Catherine. Um, but what what I knew is we needed to communicate. We needed to communicate more effectively. And we had to teach our people, our franchisees, how to handle this crazy situation. So on one hand, signage is essential. But when the federal government came out with their list of essential businesses and essential employees uh, in early March, signage employees were not on it. So very quickly, we taught our franchisees how to be deemed essential. And essentially, that was reach out to every essential customer hospitals, grocery stores, food banks, think about those things, reach out to them, get them to send you an email with their logo on it that says, fast signs of whatever city is absolutely essential. They're doing my safety signage, my social distancing signage. I couldn't do what I'm doing as a hospital, as a medical center, as a grocery store, as a food bank without them. And uh, our most of our franchisees, you know, originally were shut down in a week. We got them to open. Uh, only about 4% of our U.S. franchisees were in cities that did not allow them to open. But uh, close to 100 franchisees were audited health department saying, why are you open? And they pull out the file we told them to create. And they'd say, oh, yeah, you are essential. And then in June or July, the federal government added sign companies to the list of essential businesses. Then it was never an argument, right? Yeah. But it was an argument prior to that. And every one of our franchisees that built that built that file passed that audit. So that was important. And then it was, you know, how do you comply with the FFRCA, which was that first uh, bill that Congress passed that was different. Small businesses had to pay an incremental two weeks, incremental two weeks of sick pay and up to 12 weeks paid FMLA, right? And so how do you comply with that? No, you can't get an exemption for under 50. They still haven't come out for the rules for under 50. Then it was, how do you apply for a PPP loan? It was, we created all new marketing materials, new TV commercials, because we didn't want to seem tone deaf. But every single week we were having these connect with Catherine's. We set up a site, a prepared site, that only our franchisees and their employees can link into, can access because they have to be on their at fastsigns.com G Suite account to do it. So it's completely secure to non-fast signs people. Everything they needed about new products and services, how to comply, what to do if somebody gets sick, all that stuff was there on the prepared site. And then we set up an email address um, that franchisees use to send success stories. So we started talking about, hey, since there can't be graduations, start selling graduation signs. We tend to be B2B, not business to consumer. We tend to be business to business. And then franchisees would go call in a school district and they'd get a $12,000 order for signs for every graduate. We would, They would email that. Then in the next week's Connect with Catherine, we'd share that success story. So then 10 other franchisees, 100 other franchisees would go call on school districts. So we got this amazing flywheel of education yeah. and motivation and encouragement and success stories going. And it wasn't until July that we moved to every other week connect with Catherine. Now we're at every three weeks. Okay. But if something comes up, right, we'll just start doing weekly again. And we also, you know, we caught up. So intubation boxes. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has to happen with a COVID patient who is not getting good oxygenation is 
the hospital or the medical center needs to intubate them. When they intubate, there's a lot of aerosolization of the virus. And who would have known that Fast Signs franchisees intubation boxes and intubation shields, the very same equipment that cuts plastic for signs, cuts plastic for intubation boxes and intubation shields. So talk about, you know, a quick change of a, a product that was well, well needed and, and help keep health workers safe, right? So, I mean, just, just great little things like that that came along. Um, and we're all working together, franchisees and franchisor working together. And then knock on wood, um, while we did have a 12% decline in sales over the prior year in March and a 29% decline in sales over prior year in April, year to date, we're only down 3%. Oh, wow. That's and great. that's because we've rebounded and we're giving franchisees ideas and we're looking at building market share. And so we're, we're pleased with that. Do we think we're out of the woods yet? No, we think this pandemic is going to continue to last I don't know, nine months, 12 months more, I don't know. Um, and so we're going to continue to provide that support and those ideas. Um, but to have rebounded the way that we did, I think is because of a great team supporting our franchisees, great franchisees implementing our ideas and everybody working together. It's interesting to think back, like you said, like in the very beginning, signage, you know, wasn't included as essential, but you guys and I think other people must have made a really good case because, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that because you think of like all the social distancing dots or like all the like reopening, all the different signs that, that are needed. It does seem like kind of a no brainer that it is essential. Um, are there like what are some other ways that the signage has played a role you know, during the pandemic? Well, if you think once once businesses were allowed to start to reopen or once restaurants were allowed to have takeout, that simple banner or the flags open for takeout, open for, you know, dine outside, helping those small businesses generate some revenue when they had been shut completely down um, has been so vital to those small businesses getting through this tough time. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It, you know, depending on which estimate you look at, there've been a hundred thousand or 150,000 small businesses that have already gone bankrupt will never come back. It is heartbreaking. So anything our franchisees can do to help those businesses promote, you can buy dinner here, take out, you know, take out cocktails, all kinds of stuff. And um, that, that made a big difference. Besides keeping people safe, helping small businesses generate revenue was a really satisfying thing that can be done through signage and visual graphics. Yeah, yeah. So um, what kind of opportunities do you see for signage kind of going into this the new year? Like I've, like you said, the, the pandemic isn't over, but hopefully things are getting a little bit better. But Jokingly, I hope that the CDC decides we need to be 10 feet apart, not six feet apart. Because <laughs> we get to redo all that social distancing <laughs> signage. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be doing that, unfortunately. I mean, I think some social distancing signage will start to wear out and it'll be good to replace it. Uh, there will be businesses, uh, as you've no doubt heard, some states are shutting back down or limiting some businesses. And so signage to let customers or prospective customers know what is open, what isn't open when something reopens is going to be very, very important. Usually in our network, about 20% of our total revenue, of franchisees revenue is for what we might call never had I used this term before the pandemic, mass gathering signage. Think about conventions, trade shows, conferences, sporting events, festivals, all those kinds of things. Those things are not continuing. And until we 
get a vaccine and things are somewhat back to normal, they're not going to be back. So our folks need to continue to be proactive, call on small businesses, give them ideas on how to promote their business to generate more revenue, uh, look at their customer social distancing signage. If it's worn and doesn't look good, this is all branding, right? right. Then encourage them to redo it um, and build market share, right? I think that's very, very important. Now, the the downside of building market share means we're taking customers away from somebody else, but that's not my problem. That's just somebody else's problem. My job is to work on helping our franchisees gain market share because we're not going to have this mass gathering kinds of signage and visual graphics until things are somewhat back to normal. Yeah, that, ma that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, we, we've covered a lot of ground. This has been a really great discussion. Um, but before I let you go, I to see if you had any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with, with our listeners. I'm going to go back to something I said in the beginning, and I think this is probably the a really valuable lesson for parents to teach their kids, for grandparents to teach their grandkids, and for anybody to teach your nieces and nephews, is there really are five common characteristics to highly successful people. And they are all learned skills. We can learn to have a positive outlook. We can learn goal-directed behavior. We can learn the value of writing our goals down and doing something every day to achieve them. We can learn to be more self-motivated, to just do one or 2% more a day. We can learn to develop a sense of urgency by not putting off to tomorrow, which you can do today. And we can learn to never stop learning, right? So. You know, if you have downtime, if right now uh, you're furloughed from your employer or laid off and you're looking for a job, you also ought to be building your skill set, whether it's watching TED Talks, reading books, watching videos. You know, I'm, I often say that uh, you read five books on any subject and you will then become an expert. You'll be hard pressed to come across somebody else who knows as much about that subject. So whether it's five books on leadership or five books on management or five books on financial management, or if you just want to be a better parent, five books on parenting, right? It, you know, whatever it is, these common characteristics work, whether you're in business, whether you're a parent, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a politician. And so I think that's the one thing I would say is let's teach young people how to control their minds and to look for the positive in life. Let's teach young people the value of setting goals and writing goals down and breaking those goals down into practical, daily, small, bite-sized pieces. You know, Confucius said, the man who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. We got to teach people how to break big goals into small stones, right? And make progress every day and teach, teach our kids the importance of never stopping learning. Um, and those things will take the people we love very, very far. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm all about. And, you know, when I, one of the things I love about my undercover boss episode is I get the opportunity to talk about this and talk about becoming a victor, not a victim and creating a positive outlook. Uh, and you know, that's kind of why I think I'm here is to share those ideas with others, particularly young people. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. This was really great. I appreciate you taking some time to talk with us.